Man, Rob's good at like pumping people up. That's awesome. Yeah, we're talking about one over the next month, and really believe this is going to be this is a hugely important theme. We're going to see today that it's very close to God's heart, our relationships and our oneness with other people. And I was thinking about this. I was thought thought about one of my longest lasting relationships is with my little brother Paul. He's two and a half years younger than I am. I remember at my rehearsal dinner, our rehearsal dinner when we got married. And people get up and they say different things about you. Paul got up and he was like 19 at the time. He said, Jonathan, you've always been like a brother to me. <laughs> and it was brought the house down. But yeah, we've, we've always been like brothers. We're two and a half years apart. And I'm pretty competitive, but Paul just takes it up like five more notches from where I am. And so we grew up playing a lot of sports together. And he was always just like every day, hey, Jonathan, can we go like, we made, up, we made up games. We made up games involving baseballs and all sorts of things. But the thing we did most probably was play basketball against each other. And so I'm two and a half years older than him. I had the advantage. But he was super competitive. And, but how many of you know when you have an older brother or someone who's bigger than you, you've got to find ways to win. And, and if you're super competitive like Paul, those ways involve things that I usually thought were cheating. And so these, it was this kind of like love-hate relationship all the time. Like it was like we'd always be going out and playing one-on-one basketball, but I'd be so frustrated because he was fouling me. And I started thinking about I don't even can't even remember how he cheated, but I left every game. It seemed like feeling like he's cheating me. This is not fun. But then we'd do it again the next day, and so there was just this tension all the time. But it was really cool when we when we got to high school. He, he was, he's a better basketball player than I am, which isn't saying too much, actually. But he's, we're two and a half years, three years apart in school. So my senior year, we were at a smaller school. I was on the basketball team. And he had the rare honor, actually only one or two other people I knew of that had, this had happened at our school. As a freshman, he made the varsity basketball team. And towards halfway through the season, he actually got in the starting lineup as the starting point guard. And we still had our moments. In fact, I remember one time... On the way to a game, we got in a fight in the van, and we were just really frustrated with each other, and we got to the game, and it was like the worst game of my life. Like, I remember, and my grandmother was visiting from out of town, I remember like going up for a layup, and the ball went out of my hand, and it just like, I lost control over it, and it went up like six inches, and like fell to the ground, and I couldn't touch it, because I'd be traveling, and it was just humiliating. And after the game, my grandmother was sure to point out, hey, you know, I think the reason you were so bad was because you guys were in a fight beforehand, and that really affects your, your performance in life. And I was trying to den- deny that reality, but I think it was true. But there were, there were moments, though, of just of real n- enjoyment that came in that season because we had played with each other, and we played pickup basketball for years and years, and we knew how each other played. And we knew how each other thought. And so there was this kind of unspoken communication where I, I would know how he was thinking, he would know how I was thinking, and I could make a move and go to a spot, and he would do a no-look pass, and there was the ball, and I'd actually make that layup. And so it was, there was this, this sense of synergy and team that I had never really experienced in sports before until that time when it came to my brother and I. After the years of conflict and battles and hanging out in the relationship, there was a oneness that was manifested in our, the basketball team that was just such a rich experience. And that's really the essence of what we're talking about, that that is 
how God made us to live in our relationships with other people. To come to a place of, of oneness, and we don't get there easily. It is not natural, but it's what God has for us. Um, but there's been, there's so much resistance to us experiencing relationships like this. You know, we, all, we all want deep relationships. We all want great friendships. But, man, isn't it the most daddyum difficult thing to live it out? Right? I, it's, those moments are so great, but then the, the frustration and the challenges, and it's been that way from the beginning. Uh, it's interesting, when God made, made the first person, Adam, he, he was lived for a little, he, he was doing his thing, but then God said very quickly, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make someone as a suitable partner for him, a suitable helper for him. And he made Eve, and God said, the, the two shall become one. And that's what marriage is all about, is two different people becoming one. But very quickly after that, they succumb to temptation, and one of the most first results of sin entering their lives was division in their relationship. That Adam blamed, or Eve blamed, how did it go? Adam blamed <laughs> Eve for his sin. He's like, that was that woman you gave me. It was better if I was alone, because she's causing me all these problems. And there was division in their relationship right away, and we see their first children, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Man, like, that started very early, and ever since then we've had division and strife and war and a lack of oneness in our relationships throughout history. But it is something that is so, um, so close to God's heart. You know, even in today, many of us, in our families, it's like we want families, but half of marriage is in divorce. Like, this thing is hard. You know, today many people are so just given up on the idea of, of close relationships that it's just like, I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to live my independent life and you know, maybe use people or work with people to the degree I need to. But the hope of having deep, committed, harmonious relationships, that just seems impossible. You know, let's, let's maybe live together or friends with benefits or whatever, but I, I, it just seems impossible to have that kind of relationship. But... It is impossible apart from God, but it is possible with Him. And we're going to look at John chapter 17 this morning. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed, the night that He was betrayed, the the next day He was going to be crucified. So He was going to die the next day. And when you're about to die, the things that are really important come to the surface of your mind. You're not going to waste your time on frivolous things, but you want to focus on what, what really matters. And so we see in this prayer of Jesus, as he's getting ready to return to the Father, he is praying the things that are most important to him. And the essence, the highlight of this prayer, is all about praying for us, that we would be one. I would have thought, man, there, that he would pray for, I don't know, that we would be good, or you know, that he would... So, I don't know, but th- this is the thing that came to the surface for him, that, hey, I want my followers to be one. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this prayer. In verse, chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus prays this. He says, I do not ask for these only, not only speaking for his, his 12 disciples that were there with him right then. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay, so that's us. That's all the people throughout history who have believed in Jesus when the word of God came to them. I pray for them that they may all be one, just as you, Father, 
are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's his prayer. God, I'm praying that they may all be one, just in the same way, Father, that you and I are one. May they be one, and maybe they be connected to us, and that's going to cause the world to know that I'm who, who I am. That's interesting that there's no testimony of God's power and his reality greater than lives being changed and reconciled into oneness. That is something that can only happen by the grace of God. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want the world to know who we are. The way that's going to happen is through your relationships. Any of you besides me feel like sometimes when you pray, your prayers don't get answered? Well, I think Jesus feels that way. Because he prayed this prayer. And man, we sure got a long ways to go. And it's, it's oddly encouraging to me that, okay, it's not just me. Even Jesus prayed something that was such a huge, long-term vision. It wasn't going to happen very quickly. But it's something that is happening, that is going to happen, that God's, his prayer will be answered. But it is, it is a long process for that to happen. You know, this oneness, if you look at how he described it, um, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. You see that our oneness is not just from trying really hard to be one, but it's as we are connected with God, we become more connected with one another. Some of you have seen this analogy. We talk about this sometimes. Um, whether it's a dating relationship or any relationship, sometimes you're here and the other person's here, and you're trying to get closer together. You're trying to work through your issues and have a good relationship, but you can't get there very easily. But the secret is that if person A and person B are each growing closer to Jesus, who's here, we're getting closer to him, and as we're getting closer to him, What's happening to our distance? We're getting closer to one another as well. Our oneness has to come from our relationship with God. It's God brings us into relationship with him, and out of that, we can have oneness with other people. But trying to have great relationships apart from it being centered on Christ and, and us drawing our life from him, it just, just doesn't happen. There's a pastor named Joseph Matera, and Rob pointed out an article to me that he He wrote, it was really insightful, but he said this, he said, the kind of oneness Jesus was was speaking about was akin, or the same kind of, to the ontological oneness, and that's a really, that's a big word there, ontology, ontological. Ontology is the the study of, of being. What is the essence of being? So this is like, what is the, this is, this is really deep stuff. But the oneness he was speaking about was the ontological oneness Jesus and the Father had with one another. So just as Jesus and the Father are, are one, that's the kind of oneness that he is inviting us into and prays for us to experience. This was not mere unity, but a oneness in purpose, essence, mind, heart, and passion, which exceeds mere organizational and institutional unity. Now this is really deep stuff. But the one is God invites us. It's not just like, hey, can we, can we work together on a project? Or can we agree to disagree? Or, it's, a, it's a oneness. 
of really being one. It goes back to when the, in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, we have the most important command of Scripture, and it was the statement in the Old Testament about who God was that the Israelites saw as the core statement of faith of, of who God is. And it, it says this, it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Your God at his very essence is one. And there is one God. But God is also a community within himself. That's the mystery of the Trinity. That God is one, that God is also three. God is three persons. And it's, sometimes we lose sight of the fact of the three. That there are three persons in the Trinity. And even the, the word God there is the word Elohim. And this is debatable. People debate this, but it's interesting that the word God that's, that's translated God is the Hebrew word Elohim. It's actually a plural word. And, so, and it's like in Genesis 1, it says, Then God Elohim said, Let us make man in our image. It's like, wait, how God is one, but how, why is he saying us? But there's, there's this God is, is a community. God is, is one, but he's, he's also three. And there's this, this oneness in the three persons of God that is, is incredibly deep. And so that is the kind of oneness that God invites us into with him and with one another. As we go on in this, this passage, verse, verse 22, this, this prayer, Jesus says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. There it is again. It's, it's as we're in Christ, as he's in us, as we're in him, we can become one with one, another, with one another. And that's what shows the world that God is God and that he sent Jesus and that he loves us so much. And so is, that's, oh man, that's deep. And we could just like ponder that the rest of, the rest of today, the rest of this week, a long time. Um, but that's really, I'm hoping we can get a sense of that, that that's the essence of the relationships God wants us to experience with other people. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's what we want, right? It's what we want, but man, it's a challenge. But that is the oneness that God invites us into, and many of us are here saying, you know, yeah, I, I mess up. I, I, you know, I, with my wife, who's the closest person in my life, we experience that. But we also, many times, it's like, we do not feel very one right now. I don't even like you right now. You know, I, I know you don't like me, but I, I don't like you right now. Like, man, I don't know if I want to be one with you. Like, this is, there's, it's a challenge. But that's, as, as followers of Christ, it's not only with our spouses, but with one another, the kind of relationships that he invites us into. And so I want to spend the rest of the time today talking about how that happens. And just, just, just one, yeah, Reagan, just my wife, just was like, whoa, that's, that's a lot. We're just going to look at one, one a-, a couple aspects of that. Uh, we're going to talk more this month, and there's, the Bible really is chock full of the wisdom and understanding of how to walk this out. But the first thing we have to understand is that if you want to be one with other people, you have to be whole yourself. A lot of times we fall into the, the, the mistake of thinking, oh, I, I know that I'm empty and broken and incomplete, and so I'm looking for some other person to, to 
fix me, to scratch those itches, to the stuff in me that's lonely and empty and messed up. I'm looking for that perfect person who's going to complete me. And if I just find that person, then my problems will go away because they will fix me. That doesn't work. What we end up with is two broken people getting more dysfunctional when they come together. And that, in essence, is a lot of the problem of the dysfunctions of our relationships. Broken people cannot complete one another. We, we can't focus on another broken person because it just doesn't work. Another broken person is not going to fix you. Another person is, well, all the time, wholeness is hugely important, but nobody else is the answer for your life in that sense. Um, this is one reason why it's, it's often good is when we become followers of Jesus, if, if you're not married yet. It's often good to delay romantic relationships because that habit is so strong in us that we're looking, like we think, oh, if I just find that person, that's going to make me happy. That's going to fulfill me. And God wants us to learn to, to find our, our fulfillment, to find our, our purpose, to find our life in him because he's the only one that can do that. And so the, the way this works is God wants to help us become whole. And as we become whole people, then we can enter into relationships that have that quality of oneness. But the focus has to be not on how can this person do something for me. The focus has to be on how can I become more whole. How can I become more fully the person God made me to be? And then I can bring something into a relationship that is healthy and that blesses them. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. That's, now, the theory sounds good, but, I mean, this is, this is so deep in us. And we so much find ourselves. I bet if you look at your latest relational conflict, I bet there's a good chance that may have had something to do with it. That you were looking to another person to do something for you that it's not their job to do. That you needed to look to God to do what you were wanting to happen for you on an emotional level. And that really makes you a powerful person. Actually, because you're not dependent upon the circumstances of the people around you. But you have everything you need in God to become whole and complete. Isaiah 53.5 says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that made us whole was upon him. By his bruises, we are healed. Jesus died on that cross to make us whole. He was bruised to take on our bruises, physically, emotionally, all of that, he became our wholeness on the cross as we look to him and trust in him. And so, that's, that's we have to get that. But man, okay, there is whole, God wants oneness for us, but to have oneness, we have to have wholeness. We have to be whole. And to be whole, we can't get that from other people. We've got to get that from God. All right, you following me? Yeah. Following this, this logic here? Um, now, another aspect of this, you have, don't, make sure you remember that, hold on to that, but, because this next part does talk about how our relationships with other people help us to, uh, or an essential part of us becoming more whole. Not in a codependent way, but in a different sort of way. In, a little bit earlier on in that chapter, in John 17, the, this prayer Jesus is praying, Jesus prays this, he says, sanctify them, or you could say make them whole, Help them become everything they were meant to be in the truth. Your word is truth. 
So for us to become whole, we have to have the truth coming into our life and changing our ways of thinking, changing our habits, changing our emotions. God's Word is the thing that is the objective truth and the life-giving truth of God that comes to us and cuts off the stuff that needs to be cut off and brings life where we need life. It sanctifies us. It, it makes us whole. So we have to have God's Word. And one of the main ways we get God's Word is through other people. And I was thinking about this. I have all the things, like, what am I going to talk about today? How do we experience oneness? How do we experience wholeness? There, we could, there are so many important things. We could talk about forgiveness. We could talk about being gracious, being humble. There's, the list goes on. and Honoring people. Those, are all, those would have all been great messages today. Those are all essential. And, but I think this is, what we're going to talk about today is, is different than all of those. Because I think it's something that is often overlooked and very little practiced. And our little, here's, oh, this is, our little phrase to help pull this together is communication plus correction brings connection. Honest communication plus loving correction brings connection. Honest communication plus loving correction brings connection, brings oneness. Let's talk about that honest communication first. What's honesty? Honesty is when your inner conversation matches your outer conversation. When what you're thinking internally matches what you're saying. And, so, and a lot of times it doesn't, right? Like we're, think, we're interacting with people, we're having these thoughts, but would we say what we're thinking? Heck No. <laughs> You know, that, that would be, like, whatever. That's, that's scary. That may not be, you know, that reveals stuff in us. That maybe is just selfish or weird or whatever. We were having this internal conversation, but we're presenting a, a, ourselves to the world and to our relationships in a way that doesn't match. But honesty is so powerful. Proverbs twenty four twenty six says, An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. You know, a kiss is a good way to get close to somebody sometimes. You know, you got to be careful, you know. In our culture, we don't, you don't go around kissing a lot of people on the lips, hopefully, usually. Um, but a kiss, there's, it's designed in the right context with the right person to bring you close to somebody. That's what an honest answer does in the same way. Um, my, I was thinking about this. My first date I had with Reagan, we'd known each other for three years, and just as friends, part of a, part of a church, and came to the point where I thought, I think God is, I mean, I know she's amazing, but I think actually maybe God's bringing us together. And so I asked her out on a date, and although I didn't, I was a little disguised about that it was a date, but, but that's another story. <laughs> that maybe wasn't so honest. But when we got to our date, I was honest. And first date, I said, hey, Reagan, I just want you to know, I really like you, and I think the reason I'm, we're getting together today is I would like to begin a relationship, and I think God may be leading us together to get married. <laughs> First date, all right? You got to realize, we hadn't had any conversations. We, our friends, were all shocked that we started dating, because nobody saw it coming. 
It wasn't like we had this like pseudo like slide into it sort of thing. Like no, it was. But when that step, I told her, hey, this is what we were doing. This is why. This is what I'm asking you to enter into. Would you like to do that? And thank God she said yes. <laughs> it, but you know that honesty, and I'm not. You know I'm not saying you should do that. I took her to Free State Brewery in Lawrence, Kansas. So every time I drive by, it's like, that was the first date right there. <laughs> but that honesty opened the door for our relationship. It made it much easier to have a healthy, open, honest relationship. And that's, that's the sort of thing that in our relationships, there's got to be an honesty. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do you want? If we don't go there, we're not going to go very far. In our connection. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members, of one, members one of another. Members one of another. There's that, that oneness. We're a body. We're called to be one. But to do that, you've got to put away falsehood. And I think a lot of times we think falsehood is like, I did not cut down the cherry tree sort of thing. You know, like, okay, I, I don't tell a lie. Don't, don't fib. But honesty is oftentimes hiding. Or a lack of honesty is, is hiding. We're, we're not bringing out the inner conversation that's going on. And so, honest communication with people close to us. How many, man, the games that we play, right? Oh, the, I mean, the, the games that we play. How about the, the honest communication we have with somebody else about that person? Now, that's not called honest communication. That's called gossiping and backbiting and slander. That's, that's what that is. That's destructive. But that honest communication with the person, that's the thing that is, that is so powerful. Honest communication. Honest communication and loving correction brings connection. Correction? Why are you talking about correction? I thought you were talking about oneness. That doesn't sound very oneifying to me. That doesn't, I don't like being corrected. That sounds, but there's, it's amazing that we need the truth to become whole. And most of the time, I am blind to what I need. Yeah, that's, that's so true. <laughs> Rob knows it. You all know it. I mean, we, everybody else sees, sees the thing in your life that you need, that you, I've told you the story about the guy that went to a wedding, true story, with a dirty Q-tip, used earwax Q-tip over his ear. He cleaned out his ear, stuck the Q-tip over his ear, when he was going to throw it away, when he saw a trash can, he forgot. Went to the wedding. Nobody told him. <laughs> wedding, reception, whole thing. Nobody told him. A little loving correction would have been helpful here, right? Like, hey, dude, I, I don't know you, but let me just help you here. Okay, thanks. That's better. That we, all, we all got dirty Q-tips over our ears. If you could see ourselves. And you know what? You know that's true because you know it's true about everybody else you know. Right? They all got that. They all got that stuff. And we play so many games. And I'm not telling you to be a jerk. Please don't get me wrong. It's loving correction. But the best groups of friends that I know are the people that they, they don't let each other slide. They don't let each other's crap slide. They call each other out for it. Quickly, and they do it in a friendly way, in a loving way, in an engaging way. But it's like, hey, oh yeah, you did that? No, you, yeah, that's what you just did. Like, no, I did it. And then three guys are like, yes, you did. That's what you did. You're like, 
You're still like, no, you're all wrong. But, you know, it's, there's something so powerful in that dynamic. Loving correction. Colossians 3.16, we read a couple weeks ago. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing. Admonishing? That doesn't sound very loving. That's like telling someone where they need to come up to something higher. And this is talking about the Word of God. You know, our, we're called to be disciples. We're called to be followers of Jesus. A disciple is a disciplined learner. Dis- we're not talking about just whims and personal opinions and, hey, you need to be like me. But we're talking about if you're a disciple of Jesus, that means that you are saying, this is God's Word, and I know I got Q-tips every day, and I want God's Word to come show me where I got Q-tips and so I can throw it away and so I can change. That's, that's what this, and we need the Word of God. We need other people to help us to see that. We want to invite that in to our lives. Um, Proverbs 27, 26, there's so many good Proverbs about these principles. Proverbs 27, 26 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Isn't that true? You, how many, can you think of people that they've like talked so nicely to you, to your face, and flattered you, and then all this? And then they come and backbite and undercut, and you're like, that wasn't my friend. That was my enemy. But you think of, I hope you've had this in your life, to some degree, of someone who loves you enough to say, you know what, Marcel? You've got a Q-tip over your ear. Let me get that off for you. Yeah, faith, that may hurt. Like, oh my goodness, I why are you bringing that to my attention? I kind of wish I didn't know, but no, I, I don't wish I didn't know because that's embarrassing. That's not who I want to be. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, a friend who loves you enough to graciously, with care and concern, say, hey, you know what? I think this is, I think this is something that's hurting you. God's got something better for you. Here, can I help, help bring you into this? That, is, that brings oneness and depth in our relationships. Um, Conflict. We're going to actually, we're planning in later next year to do a whole series on practical relational skills. So we're going to get more into this. But conflict is something, most of us see conflict as bad. But conflict is our greatest opportunity for transformation and for oneness. When someone, a conflict presents the opportunity for you to grow closer to that person. I am closer to my brother because all the hundreds of conflicts that we've had, and we still do. We still, when we talk, it's like, oh my goodness, how can we go like this all the time? But we are closer because of the way we've worked through those things and gotten closer together. So, loving correction. So the question is, um, do we, do we want to be corrected? Do we want that loving correction from God and from others in our life? James 1.21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. And the word that comes is able to, to save our souls. That means to transform our souls, to bring us into everything God meant for us. That is able to transform us if we receive it humbly. Now so many, you can probably look at, at your life, at my life. A lot, of, a lot of times, I've seen this so often, it's tragic when I see someone like, they are stuck in a certain behavior, and people have told them about their behavior, but they haven't taken it to heart. And that's, that's their glass ceiling for their life. That, may, that keeps them from relational advancement. That keeps them from career advancement. 
Because they're just like, no, I'm stubborn, I don't want to hear that. And you know what, if you're like that, guess how much people are going to speak into your life? Zero. If you, if you don't want to receive it, people aren't going to want to give it to you. And that's, that's to our detriment. So can we receive it? And then can we give it? That may be even more challenging, right? For some of us that are non-confrontational, we just want to like, be harmonious and get along and don't like conflict. Well, sometimes that may be just cowardly. Because if we really care about a relationship, we really care about oneness, then we've got to care enough about someone to be a faithful friend who's going to wound them in a loving way. And I'm not trying to wound them, but because the truth can hurt. And so, can we bring the truth to someone? Do we care about people around us enough to lovingly bring that to them? Proverbs 28:23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. All right. Yeah, good stuff. Any questions about this? There's a lot of like life skill and application that you've got to unpack and walk out. But any questions about this? Reagan, no, you can't ask a question. <laughs> Good question. I don't know if you all heard that. Reagan asked, what happens when you try to lovingly bring something up to somebody and they attack you? Don't receive it. Um, that happens. And that's the risk. You know, there, there's risk in this, in, in going there. Um, you've got to go to God and deal with, you know, was I really doing this lovingly? Okay. God, I just got to trust this to you. But I'm glad you asked that because I, was gonna, I wanted to make this point. That oneness, it takes two parties to experience oneness. And, it ta- and the more... And you have to be whole to experience oneness. And so, while you can't look to another person for fulfillment, you also have to be aware of the fact that the death of your relationship is going to take two people. And you are only responsible for you. And you can only control you. And so, not every relationship, I mean, yes, that Jesus is bringing this about in history, that we will all be one at some point, I mean, wow, I can't wait to see that happen. But we are nowhere near that right now, and not every person, not every Christian is at that place right now. And so you have to just, you do have to be discerning about who wants this, who's receptive, um, and you, you're not going to have the same depth of relationship with everybody. And that's going to be contingent upon you and them. Yeah, Elaine? Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, did you all hear that? Yeah, wholeness doesn't mean you don't need other people and, or that you have everything. This is confusing. And I, I think the wholeness is more... And even, I mean, you could, this, you could dissect this anyway because we need people, we need people for emotional support. We, we're not made to walk alone. Like, we do need other people. But what, I guess what I'm, how I would define that is what is unhealthy is looking to people to do something that only God can do. That's, what, that's what's dysfunctional. Is when we're trying to get people to give something to us that we have, but only God can do that in our life. And, but then, there are things that God, many things that God will only do through other people. Because he wants us to be not codependent, but interdependent. I think that's a good way to see it. Codependency is unhealthy. But interdependency is healthy, where we, we need other people. Does that, does that help? Yeah. Eric, yeah. Yeah, it has to come from our oneness with Christ. That's, the, that's why Jesus said, may they be one as we are one, I in them. Like, that's, that's where it all comes from, is us being in Christ. And, yeah, getting, dealing with the pride and everything. But yeah, Luke. That's it in a nutshell, right there. Come on, Luke. You got a relationship with Jesus before you can have a relationship with others. And if you don't know, Luke's getting baptized today. So, <laughs> it's awesome. <clears throat> All right. Well, there's so much. So much more. Is there one more question anybody has? All right. Tom. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Good question. Good question. Um, my answer to that, did you hear that? How do you know what to let slide? You, you guys, I hope you know, I'm not saying be that, but don't be judgmental. Judgmentalism is our enemy. Jesus is very clear about that. Don't, be, don't judge people. Which I think is don't be judgmental towards people. How do you, you don't want to like every little thing that they do? Do you want to be nitpicking about that? No, absolutely not. I don't have a simple answer for that, Tom, except that the question that helps me is that phrase, speak the truth in love. When I ask myself, how can I best love this person? It helps me filter through hey, is this just little, you know, is this little stuff to let go? Is this the right time? Mostly, am I in the right place? You know, that's the biggest filter, is am I doing this because I love them? A lot of the times it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not in a place of love right now, so I should not be speaking to their life at all. I first need to make sure that my heart towards them is right. Um, so, yeah, it's not like, 
But then, but then there are times where you just, those, you, hopefully we have those friends that we're able to just like call each other out on their stuff just like quickly and not have to make a big deal about it. So, but that, I think you don't want to, that doesn't, that environment isn't developed overnight. That environment is developed with trust over time. Is that? Yeah, good. Okay. Well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have a chance for us to I think really contemplate how this, what God's saying to us in our own life and how this works out. We're also, and, and we're going to go into a time of communion. Um, so worship team, you can go ahead and come on up here. Um, it's interesting that communion, as we're celebrating or, and remembering Christ's death on the cross, his body shed for us, his blood spilled for us. I mean, the word communion is talking about our union with God and with others. And Jesus was very clear that it's important that as we participate of commun- in communion, that our hearts are in the right place, not only towards him, but towards others. Um, I love, in that chapter, in John 17, another thing Jesus said in, in verse 10. He said this, he said, and this is the attitude that we're really looking at. He said, all that, he's speaking to God, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And think about that relationship that Jesus and the Father have. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine. That's what God demonstrated for us in the cross, in giving Jesus. He said that to us as well. My best is yours. And our response to that, to his, his giving everything he has to us, is giving everything we have to him. And he invites us into that in our relationship with him, and he calls us into that in our relationship with him and with other people too. And so I just want to ask you these questions, and um, this is for you to pray. Maybe go ahead and bow your heads, and just um, we'll play some music here. Just, just think about this. Is there a relationship that you need to reconcile? Is there, is there a relationship that you realize, you know, not only are we not at a really high place of oneness, but we're just, we're, we're in a bad place. And I need to go to that person. And I need to reconcile. I need to do whatever I can to reconcile that relationship. I encourage you to, to, to commit to do that right away. Commit to do that this week. Um, you know, maybe there's a, as an honest conversation that you've been afraid to have. But you know, when God's bringing it to your attention, I need to have that honest conversation. I need to talk to this person about this. And that lack of that conversation has kept our relationship from becoming one. And maybe you need to go to, a, to, go to another person and just ask for input. You need to go to them and ask, hey, what is it in me that's the greatest hindrance to our relationship? I actually asked that question to my dad recently, and it was a very eye-opening question. What am I doing that's keeping our relationship from going to the next place? And I said, God, I want to learn. I want that input. I want to, I want to learn and get that input and grow. Let's go ahead and...